there's no benefit to going to a Zoom meeting early, in my opinion. I mean, that's I, that's my opinion. Yeah, it's true. It's the new world, right? It's yeah. uh, minute to minute now. It is. We can travel anywhere. It's it's weird how it's made. It really has made you kind of uh, more accurate in a way, I guess. I don't know. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. I am so stinking excited for today's episode. It's I can barely contain myself, and that's a lot because there's a lot of me to contain, but I'm containing myself as best I can. How are you? How is the week going? How's the month going? Are you taking some time to sort of smell the daisies or the roses, depending on which flower you like best? Um, are you doing some things for you? These are all pretty important questions uh, because they all make a big difference in sort of how we function, and they're tied directly to the conversation I have with my friend Karen today. And that is this idea that we're human beings and we have needs and desires and wants. We have responsibilities and authorities and accountabilities and we're, we're busy people. And we live in a world that is filled with uncertainty and we live in a world that is not very stable. But we still have to function. And so that's why I'm checking. I just want to check in. How are you doing? How are things going? For me, life is grand. The summer is zooming by, as it tends to do, um, and things are fine. I mean, they're they're remarkable and and noteworthy because I get to spend time with you and to have these great conversations and do this really interesting work we're doing, which I think makes kind of a giant difference. So today you're going to get to talk with – um, Dr. Karen Feinstein, who's the president and CEO of the Jewish Healthcare Foundation, and she is amazing. Now, if you know Karen, you'll know that she's really widely regarded as a leader in um, healthcare quality improvement and has been for many – she's incredibly young, but I mean many, many years – but she, she drifted from quality improvement, which I'm not sure it's a drift. It seems like a logical conclusion into patient safety. And it's funny because patient safety is becoming more and more significant in the conversations in our world. And you're going to see today, because I have to tell you, this conversation with Karen kind of was mind-blowing. And she said something that it, it's when you hear, I mean, like... Uh, I'm so surprised I haven't thought of this before that I feel kind of goofy and foolish. But she moves us into a space where I actually think the mutual dependency we all share as human beings, that's what I talked about earlier, becomes amplified around things like the relationship between industrial safety, safety regulatory bodies like OSHA, those kind of bodies, and patient safety. And I have to tell you, I mean, I don't know how you're feeling as you walk the dog or drive your car or whatever you're doing right now. I had not put all those together before. I just hadn't. I mean, I, I thought they were definitely separate. And that's kind of what the conversation did for me is it said they're not separate at all. In fact, when one improves, they all can improve. 
And what we learn, all of us collectively, individually in our operations, can be shared collectively throughout everyone else's operations. And the ability to learn actually knows no boundaries, and we can provide information for one another, which all sounds great, right? But one of the things that Karen's going to talk about, which is just amazing to me, is how that also made a difference in the level of attention, the level of urgency that these issues get, especially around patient safety. And, and that's a really interesting challenge. I mean, I, 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 again, I am humble. So I was humbled when Karen wanted to be on the podcast because, I mean, this is a great opportunity just to talk to somebody who does the very work we do in a very different world and does it incredibly well. But I realized after we got into the conversation that this was a mutually beneficial conversation we were going to have with one another. And the reason we were having that conversation is because that's how we get to learn. You'll see. Uh, it's all, it's all going to make total sense. I mean, I, I, can you see why I'm excited about this conversation? Oh, you will be too. Don't you worry. It's going to be great. And that sort of launches us into really the rest of the year. And the pod's looking stunning for the rest of the year. We're going to have a lot of information. So tell your friends. Like, share, enjoy, do all the stuff you're supposed to do. But most importantly, take what we're talking about today and seriously contemplate what Karen's bringing to the table. Because Dr. Feinstein's amazing. She's an expert. She, she, she's someone we want to hang with anyway. But what she says is completely attainable, and it helps us understand the relationship we have with one another. And it makes sense, right? If patient safety gets better, we all benefit because we're all people and we have a shared sense of fate in a world filled with uncertainty in a world that's not incredibly stable, but a world in which we must live, survive, and thrive. I think you're going to love this conversation. You're going to love Karen. I, I can guarantee that. Sit back and relax and see what you think. I think this is going to be a very, very, very fun discussion. So without any further ado, let's listen to a conversation between Dr. Karen Feinstein and myself. And you, you're invited as well. All right, Karen, well, tell me what's up. Introduce yourself and, and let's have a chat. Well, hi, I'm looking forward to speaking with you, Todd. I am the CEO and president of the Jewish Healthcare Foundation of Pittsburgh, and we have an operating arm called the Pittsburgh Regional Health Initiative. So PRHI, as we call it, was one of the first quality collaboratives, safety and quality multi-stakeholder collaboratives in the country. And we started out over 27 years ago with a lot of energy we were going to solve the safety problems in healthcare because we had just become aware of how many people died from preventable medical error. And we said, you know, we were very ambitious then. Why don't we just fix this in a year or two? So I had no idea how to fix it, but um, right around the corner here in Pittsburgh was the headquarters, the world headquarters of Alcoa, which was the safest corporation in the world. Because its CEO, Paul O'Neill, set that as an ambition, and he achieved it in rather record time. 
So I went around the corner, met with Paul O'Neill and said, will you help me fix health care? And he said, sure. He's a very confident person. He just died a couple years ago. Very confident person. He said, I'd be happy to do it. Kind of know health care well from my years at OMB and the veterans. I was very close. He was very close to the Veterans Administration hospitals. And he said, no problem. You know, we'll bring the techniques that worked at Alcoa to healthcare, and we'll fix this problem and we can go on and do other things. So that was 27 years ago. Wow. That's impressive. That's impressive. And I, I think there's two things that are really important. One is the naive belief we can make it better is what causes improvement in all of society. So that's an important place to start. But how'd the journey go? When, when you started doing things, what'd you start doing? Well, we did what was available. And I want to emphasize that because we were using techniques that worked in industry, uh, basically built on the Toyota production system, lean quality engineering. And Paul Alcoa ran its own university in the Alcoa production system, which was basically what they call TPS, Toyota production system. And a bunch of us went to the university and studied the techniques and Paul helped find some wonderful black belts who would come and work with us. And we started doing some experiments, right? We would put our coach in a unit, we'd set a target and we'd identify a unit champion. Mostly early on, this was in the hospital, but it was in all kinds of divisions. It could have been pathology, it could have been infection control, it could have been just a, a surgical suite, it could be um, a nursing unit. And everything we touched was successful. I mean, these are tried and true techniques. Everything was successful and we were on a high. People wrote books about us, articles about us. We got a lot of money from the federal government and foundations. Paul and I got to travel everywhere. Eventually I got to Korea, all of Canada, um, England, you know, we're having a great time until suddenly I look backward. Everything that we had cited as a great achievement had gone back to baseline. The moment our coach left and, and if the champion from a unit or any setting of healthcare got transferred, everything went back to baseline. Everything except one thing, central line infection, because we had kind of easy to incorporate steps to prevent um, central line infection. But everything else that required a team effort and root cause analysis and identifying problems when they occur and solving them on the spot, all of that works as long as you have a coach and a champion, um, but it, it isn't sustainable. And that was the reality for me that was most painful that all of these achievements, um, everything, all the infections I couldn't pronounce that we were able to bring close to zero, um, the improvements in pathology, accuracy and speed, um, waiting times for parents who suspected their infants may have autism. We, we were able to take on all of these problems and fix nothing in the long run. And that, that became very troubling to me. So my next stop was to keep people out of hospitals. And I will say that was successful. I felt really good. We identified the major reasons people go in and out of hospitals, particularly those who um, frequent hospitals. 
And we picked up four major areas. We had a lot of money, particularly from the Obama administration, but others. And we were able to prove that just by doing, we, we focused on four areas, we could dramatically reduce the rehospitalization of people who were frequently in hospitals. Um, but then I felt guilty because we hadn't really improved conditions. And, you know, just to, to get sort of to where I am now, I realized that, that the Toyota production system lean quality engineering is what was available then. That was 97, but it's now 2023. And we have a lot of technological innovations that can make the world much safer if only we would use them. And you're exactly right. Why do you think why do you think these ideas didn't become sustainably implemented in the hospital's system? Is it is it the the weight of bureaucracy? Is it the way the hospitals organize? Is it the way healthcare is organized? Well, let's take number one. Okay. We all love physicians. And when the physicians are well trained, you know, I, I if I need to have my gallbladder removed. I want a physician, right? But if I want to redesign a system and remove all the flaws and all the pathways for errors, frankly, I don't want it run by physicians. I don't want the redesign led by physicians because most of them have no safety science, no organizational behavior, no quality engineering background, no systems theory. So, you know, give me a human factors engineer um, or even people who are very skilled in AI and ML and advanced analytics. We haven't assembled the right multidisciplinary teams who know how to set up safe systems because that's their training. That's their background. So that may be number one, but I'm going to give you number two. Okay. The incentive system is awful. That's, and I see that from the outside for sure. I'm as guilty as anyone. You know what I negotiate with my health plan on? Cost. That's it. Like, what is it going to cost me to insure my employees? Do you think I negotiate on quality and safety? No, none of us do. And so we don't, we don't do what any other consumer in any other market would do. Before surgery, do you think people look for data on the surgical team? They don't, even people in the health professions, even where data are available, they don't go looking. Um, we don't negotiate on the basis of quality and safety. Uh, we're not, we're sort of hoping that some miracle is going to happen, but there's a role we all could play that we don't. And then the third has to be also financial. If you were airlines and if you're Delta and American keeps crashing, you're going to pay a big price for that. People are going to get scared. They're going to plan different, like we did during the pandemic. Right. right? We all discovered all the places we could drive. Right. <laughs> we suddenly discovered, oh, hell, I can go to Asheville, North Carolina. I can do the bourbon circuit in Kentucky. You know, I don't have to stay stuck here. But the airlines know that if they're not all safe, if they're not all in this together, if we don't feel confident as we do getting on a plane anywhere in the world, then everyone will suffer. And so they work together as an industry. In healthcare, the incentive system for all of our health providers and our suppliers, by the way, our vendors and our 
pharmacy companies, for them to all get together and say, no matter what, we have to be safe. The same incentives aren't there. How do we change that? How that that's the question I think to bring to the table. Todd, I've been asking that for twenty-seven <laughs> years. So I'm I'm ready for a new idea. So I'll give you my best. Okay. One is we have to make safety easy. The problem with the best of lean engineering techniques um, is they demand a lot from the front line. And we can't keep demanding anything from the front line that goes beyond what they do now just for survival. Right. Their, the workforce shortages are that acute. So right. we have to look at things that make systems safe and redesign our systems so that errors are prevented before they occur. And there are so many opportunities. One thing that breaks my heart, we have best practices for many of the common errors. They're not applied. They're just not applied. I mean, just to give you the simplest in a way, we know how to prevent the cognitive impairment that comes for older people with hospitalizations. They call that the comorbidity of hospitalization. But you spend a couple of weeks in a hospital as an older person, you become so disoriented that it cannot be fixed when you leave. So many people wind up permanently, say, in nursing facilities because they were so disoriented during their hospitalization. We know how to counter that, we don't. And so I could go on, we know how to prevent pressure sores, but we don't. We know how to prevent most infections, but we don't. So, you know, the thing that, that is so painful to me is we have to find a way to anticipate our hotspots. You know, something is about to go wrong. Something could go wrong. We have a condition that could lead to an error and we have to intervene before errors occur. So the interesting part of what you're saying, because I love what you're saying, is that I would add one thing to your thinking. And I'm wide open for discussion on this, so don't be afraid to push back. But I think primarily, at least first, we have to keep this discussion of risk alive. And so I think it's a combination of making systems that default towards stability, make it easy to be safe, while simultaneously keeping the conversation of risk alive. The, the belief that bad things will happen is much more powerful than the belief that bad things may happen. Well, the ability to generate passion among the public has had a dismal record. Yes, I agree. Um, the public want, I mean, it's sort of like giving up religion. They want to believe that their doctor and their health system is focused on keeping them safe. They actually don't want to get into these details. They don't want to realize, um, one thing I use as an example, the Christian scientists, if I had an identical twin, she was a Christian scientist, I'm overusing medical care, we will pay the same for life insurance. That, <laughs> um, you know, that a doctor and a drug um, and a surgical technique aren't always going to fix you. They, they also have downsides. Right. And, you know, to get the public to care about this and say, maybe you need to be more responsible for your safety. 
uh, it's anathema. I, we have tried every way. Um, there are some small experiments that are promising that say, if I'm going into a hospital, for instance, and now with precision data collection and risk assessment, which can be much more precise, they could say to me, given everything, your age, your gender, your size, um, you know, your race, uh, your, your medical history, your family history, the hospital that you're entering, the unit that you're going to, the procedure you're going to have, these are your greatest risks, and this is how you prevent them. I've seen small experiments on this that are powerful. Right. You say to me and my family, you know, you're, you're at risk for A, B, and C, and this is what you should do to prevent it. I mean, that's very interesting. These are small experiments, but they do seem to have an effect. Now, you have to get the health systems willing to allow people who have these AI systems and machine learning systems to come in, install them, apply them, and let the patients know. Um, using the electronic record, you can do this with the um, electronic record. But, but it hasn't you know, I know like one or two small experiments. So I'm not counting on the public. I'm really worried about that. There is the question of leadership. The, what do they call it? The great man or woman theory? Right. So I just came back from Finland. Finland is remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. I wasn't even sure what I was going to find there. But at the highest level, highest level, Finland as a country, and as a, through the Ministry of Health, they want to be the safest global leader in patient safety by 2026. And they have a whole series of steps they put into action. It is wildly impressive. And, um, you know, that's the other way to get there. But we were very lucky that health reform was alive under Obama, alive and active. And those of us who are in this space, we were full of energy. We thought, you know, we're, we're getting closer and closer to cracking the nut we've been working on. But I haven't seen it since. You know, the it, it's not, if it's on the agenda, I'm not seeing it. And that's a concern to me because we know that uh, President Biden was a champion of what happened under the Obama-Biden administration. I, I want that fire to come back. I want the White House to get out in front and and take on a Finland-like commitment to say by 20, Finland literally is decided by 2026, they want to end medical error. How's that for ambition? That's ambitious. I mean, that's incredible. What do you think caused Finland to posture that way? Well, it's interesting that you say that, I, and now I can answer it. So yesterday I was talking to an MIT safety engineer, and she was on a call with a group of other people. And I was talking about how impressed I was with Finland. She said, it's not just healthcare. She said, Finland has a thing about safety. They're very focused in many areas of engineering, whatever they, they want to wire any system they can find for safety. So I do think it's maybe part of their culture um, and, and recognition as a nation that technology can be deployed in so many interesting ways. But they also have a kind of implementation thinking. And I'm going to say that even when I go to other countries and there may be aspirational and they, they may want to be safer, 
the problem I see is they don't know how to go from research and identification of ways to deal with harm to implementation to get every setting of healthcare to do what we know is best practice. Every other country I see has huge gap. Finland, at least, has narrowed that gap. So they have, um, which is interesting, they put healthcare in with other industries in an in SAIF, their mm -hmm. big safety um, agency for the country. And they have 130 some experts in all the different fields. They work across industries. Why do I think that's interesting? They know what they're doing. You know, they have a tool bag, they have procedures and processes and expertise. They know how to look at a system and identify the flaws. And so they come out when they see what they think is a flaw, they come out with recommendations. They don't just come out with recommendations and they don't hit everyone over the head. They follow the recommendations every year for 10 years. Therefore, 70% of things they've ever recommended have been implemented. They become standard practice. But it's that going back and going back, working with the organization. Why didn't you implement it? How much progress have you made? Just by asking that question, how much progress have you made? You've got an, a setting of healthcare with a mindset that said, I don't want them to come back and say, we haven't made any progress from right. 2014. You know, every year we have to get a little bit better. So what impressed me is not only is Finland aspirational, but they've set a lot of things in motion. So let me give you one more that I love. As I mentioned, do you really want health professionals, much as we love them, to step out of their comfort zone with no safety science systems theory, organizational behavior, or quality engineering background? Um, are they doing what they shouldn't do? But Finland also has sort of an answer to that. Well, why don't we require that education? So they have programs up to two years that all the health professionals have to take, including those already in practice, so that they learn how you design safe systems. Just try to get any of our health professional disciplines to change their curriculum so that everybody gets grounded in safety science and system design. I think it's a doable idea. You've you've taught me something today, and I'm so pleased we had this conversation. And one of the things you've taught me is that if we couple health safety to industrial safety, it makes a much more compelling, broader, more powerful narrative. And I actually think we've made a mistake in seeing them as separate. And you haven't. I mean, 27 years ago, you were with Paul O'Neill. I mean, you've, you've, you've seen that connection early. I actually think that is a powerful connection that all of us can be a part of. Because we work diligently in the industrial side because it's easy. They'll fund it. They'll make changes. They measure. And, and the whole progress metric, are we getting better? is really profoundly powerful to them. We can do that same thing. I, I think this is exciting. I came back from Finland and I said, you know where we should have a national effort, a national safety, they call it investigation, but they're not looking at individual incidents. They, they're looking for design flaws. I mean, that the, I, I, 
the word investigation doesn't mean NTSB. Right. No, they're using more the academic version of investigation. Gotcha. Yeah, like research. Yeah, exactly. The National Central place for it. I think it should be at OIG. I think it should be with the Office of the Inspector General. It should be in a place where doing this kind of observation of system flaws, of pathways for error, is what these people do. It's what they're really good at. You know, I mean, I know there's certain things that I'm looking for and I will see a setting, I'll go somewhere and I will see what I'm trained to see Mm -hmm. or what I'm interested in. Someone else will come out of that same experience. They were with me step by step and they'll have seen many other things. And that's why I really do think, you know, we need the people who are expert in this to take a look at healthcare, not those of us who unfortunately have become accustomed to an unacceptable reality. What a great podcast. That was beautiful. Thank you. That was really good. So, and we're at a really good stopping place because I think let's talk again, but I, I like the idea that we've established that connection um, throughout the entire sort of working world, industry, healthcare. That that was great. Well, thank you, Todd. You can tell I don't enjoy talking about this topic. At all. <laughs> I'm, I, I, yeah, we have to talk again. But I think because what I wanted to ask you is kind of future state activity. But I think that softens the first message too much because we'll get you know we'll get thousands and thousands of people. Some of them really powerful that'll listen to this first message. So let's keep this one clean and then come back and talk about the future because they'll want you back, if you don't mind. No, I love it. I love it. Um, Todd, I've given 27 years with nothing to show for it. <laughs> oh, I don't no. mind doing another podcast. En contraire, mon frere. I think you have much to show for it. And I, I, you bring an energy to this. It's exactly the way we'll make this change is, is I think you're exactly right. If we code it into a, a nationwide industrial safety expectation it'll it'll have the most impact i think you're onto something i think actually i think finland's onto something and you picked up on it but you started the journey early yeah i had black hair then (laughs) (laughs) yeah well we don't have to talk about that so what do you think i told you wasn't that kind of what a great first of all karen thank you so much for the time Uh, it was so good scotland Thank you for setting it up. You did a lot of great work. That's why I featured you in the introduction, because you're amazing. But most importantly, thank you for listening. And think about what was introduced. Think about the very, very important relationship that we can all share and how other organizations, other countries, other places in the world are thinking about this problem differently than we are, because that's going to be key. I mean, that's really important. Thank you so much for your time. This was a great pod. I was so pleased to get to do it, and I'm even more pleased to hang out with you. Learn something new every single day. I know you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be good to each other. Be kind to each other. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe.